0: Hello and welcome to The Rebind, a podcast about putting all the pages of the Bible back together. On today's episode, we'll finish our investigation of what the Bible says about the hiddenness of God as we continue to flesh out how it is that God manifests himself to us. As we tie together these three weeks of focused discussion, we'll be surprised to find the incredible kindness in God's social distancing and the incredible temporariness of it as well. Well, I hope you're ready for the finale of our little standalone trilogy here. Typically on The Rebind, we've been covering the book of Ezekiel and saturating ourselves in its story and message. But we've been taking a break the last two weeks to discuss a topic that Ezekiel raised for us. If we see God's mobile, concentrated presence as this all-important theme in the book, how does it really work today? What's with God's presence and, and absence, his nearness and hiddenness? I think all of us have asked, or at least heard asked, if God is who he says he is, why doesn't he just show up? And so we've been looking beyond Ezekiel at the Bible as a whole to get a feel for the framework that Scripture presents us with. So many of us, without actually saying it out loud or really thinking it through, are working with a switch model for God's presence. It's on or it's off. And if Moses could have it flipped on, why can't I? And if I'm feeling discontent, like I'm not sensing enough of God's presence, it must be totally off. Someone needs to check the breaker. But we realized pretty early on, like, that's not actually how it works. Some passages in the Bible say you can't see God's face and live, and others say seek his face continually. Some people encounter the concentrated glory of God and are cleansed and guided, while others fall dead on the spot. So there must be more to this than just why doesn't God show up. We need a better set of questions to be asking so that we're not stuck trying to force the math of a broken formula, or we're trying to win in a game with broken rules. So instead of working with the switch model, we've been thinking through what we've been calling a scale model, where God's presence is manifested to us in different degrees of concentration and mediation. So instead of asking, why doesn't God show up? We've been trying to ask, What are we actually asking of God, and what would actually happen if we got it? So as we started asking those right questions and working with the right model last week, we started to fill in the spectrum that we're working with, labeling the different points on the scale in our minds. We checked out Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 32, Exodus 33 and 34, we saw a direct experience of God's presence is just straight up impossible and totally presumptuous. And if it's not impossible, then it's obliterating. For God to just show up in a way to cross that divide altogether, we'd, we'd end up with the matter of this physical world crushed by his infinite weight and glory radiating from his very being. So God withholding his glory in that way, hiding, so to speak, is in fact an act of mercy. On the scale model in scripture, we've got to put an axis break on the far right with the direct presence of God on the other end, beyond the limits of what we can comprehend and handle. But we can't stop there just yet. Thinking through what it actually is to experience this kind of direct presence of God doesn't answer all of our questions, but it does help us move forward with some perspective and humility. So, what's to the left of that axis break? And by the way, if you're like, um, yeah, you've totally lost me on the axis stuff, cannot picture the scale model, visual learner here, uh, that's okay. If you go to the Buy the Book Resources website, by the book resources.com. Uh You can click on the Rebind Podcast tab, and you can listen to this episode there. And if you click the button that'll show there, it'll pop up an image of this scale model. So that way you can look at it, see it visualized, and follow along or just have it for a reference. So I've got you covered. All right, well, this... Kind of helps us already to answer the presumptuous questions of the first semester philosophy students, right? But this doesn't answer everything. I mean, there's got to be people who would still admit how stupid it is to try to crave God's direct presence, but who still are just longing to have a greater sense of him, of his reality and relationship with him. Like, surely there are people who aren't trying to control God like Jacob. They just want to sense his presence more than they already are. They, they just want to experience as much of it as they can experience the way that the Bible seems to suggest that we can. So let's go there now. Let's go left of that axis break on the far right where the incomprehensible direct presence of God lies. And let's see what we find in Scripture about God's mediated presence. So we're thinking now about the different levels of experiencing God's presence in and through different go-betweens, different indirect forms. All right, so in Romans 1, we read about how God's invisible attributes, like his power and otherness, have been made known to everyone through the created world. It even says that God has shown this to them, to us, but humanity has had a tendency to take that revelation or indirect display of God and distort it. So somewhere to the left on our scale, we'll put God's character on display in creation. And this is truly a display of God, right? It's not a scavenger hunt where we figure things out and deduce some facts because it says he shows us these things about him. But it's still a indirect form of his presence on the left on our scale because what he's showing is limited. It's not that he's unclear. It's not that we are having to work for it. It's just that he's not showing us everything that there is to show that we can know. It's just some things that are being shown in this form. But to the left even of that display we'd have to put the distorted and suppressed concepts that we end up with after we selfishly twist that and make it something else And then there's even more Matthew 5:45 says that the Father causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous but this interaction between God and man as distant as it seems won't last forever either, will it? the end of history, in other places in Matthew, we know that God will cast into outer darkness those who have presumed upon his mercy and his light that they live in. So to the left, even of our suppression and distortion, far more indirect, far more distant, even more separated from God's presence is the second death, the second separation, that lasts. Forever for those who reject God. But to the right of what God shows us of himself in creation, there are special and specific ways that he shows up, like in dwelling in the temple, or in guiding the Israelites in a pillar of light and fire, or in giving Ezekiel a vision of his spiritual movements. This is what we have today in the Bible that we talk about on this podcast, a closer experience of God's direct involvement and presence, a a less mediated way that he shows up. And as opposed, even more, to the non-Christians who encounter that word, followers of Christ are actually united to Jesus Christ himself in ways that we could barely imagine. So that's one point further on the right than just these unique acts of revelation. Alright, hopefully I'm not just info-dupping on you. I I just want to help you fill in that scale in your minds and your hearts. Moving from greater mediation to less mediation, moving from um, indirect experiences of God's presence to more direct. We've got Second death, human distortion, what God has shown of Himself in creation, specific acts of revelation and showing up, and our being united to Jesus Christ, God Himself, as Christians. Now we're going to unpack what this means for us now in a second, but let's just think about as far right as we could possibly get on the scale without crossing over into an obliterating direct experience of God's presence. We would call that maybe God's unmediated presence. Or still not totally direct, but as much as seemingly possible presence. But let's just stick with unmediated presence for convenience. What we're envisioning here is the removal of all possible obstacles that distance us from God or hide his presence from us all of it gone. What's being asked here is not why can't I access God in the fullness of his glory, but rather just why can't I experience the full human relationship with him like Adam and Eve had? Now, this is the really big claim that I wanna make with all of this, guys. This is where we want to remind ourselves of everything we talked about last week. Visualize this scale in our minds the best we can. Think about what the Bible shows us. Both Christians and non-Christians have a valid reason for feeling like they're missing something. For feeling dissatisfied. And both Christians and non-Christians will experience and encounter that unmediated, unhidden presence of God. But they will experience it for very different reasons, with very different results. This is where we see the Bible actually affirm, yes, God will show up, but are you prepared for that? For Christians, Second Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, We've got it even better than Moses did. <laughs> I mean, Moses had to wear a veil. But it says, we are, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God through the ministry of Christ. The New Testament declares that that unmediated presence is an objective reality for us because of Jesus. And it even makes that a practical goal for us to be working towards as we abide in Christ But the same verse that says we're with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord also says that we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, that encounter and transformation is in some sense still in process. That total return to what Adam and Eve had still awaits what we see will happen in the book of Revelation when Christ comes back to break down all barriers. So if we're listening to this as Christians and asking, why am I still missing something? Why is my union with Christ not translating personally into a full sense of God's presence? Then we need to hear those verses. The scriptures declare for us that what we long for is in fact an objective reality because of what Christ has done. All the barriers are broken down in him and we can even strive toward that abiding harmony while we walk this earth. But it's only in the new heavens and new earth where we heard it said, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's Revelation twenty-one three. So, Then this begs the question, why are we left waiting? Where's the mercy in that? Why does the next chapter of Revelation end with the cry, Come, Lord Jesus! Isn't that cruelty instead of mercy? But to answer that question, we have to ask a different one. What would this kind of encounter of God mean for non-Christians? After all, many, if not most, of those who criticize the felt absence of God are those who remain unwilling to accept his gospel. What would actually happen from a Christian perspective if God were to grant their wish for his unobstructive presence inasmuch as it's humanly possible to experience? Well, even though this unmediated presence that we're talking about is technically possible, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily any safer. It doesn't mean that the quest to experience the fullness of God is any less self-destructive for those who've learned the lessons of Jacob and Moses. Because even as God stoops down to make his presence known, he's still holy, he's, he's still God. This is what we've been seeing in Ezekiel, isn't it? All over the Bible, and especially in the prophets, God showing up has meant hope for some, but judgment for others. Judgment on the corruption of his creation. If you have a chance this week, check out Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8. That promise of Emmanuel, God with us, is a hopeful message for Christmas services, sure, but... That same unavoidable attention also means justice for others in chapter 8. And again, no, it's not just an Old Testament thing. Listen to Second Peter 3, 9-10. through 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. For non-Christians, the unmediated presence of God brings condemnation because truly encountering a holy God up close and personal forces that interaction that's been on hold as an act of mercy. It is because of God's presence, not in spite of it, that the unregenerate distance themselves further and further away from God. I mean, they, they sense the demands of it. We, like disobedient children, <laughs> avoiding their parents. For God to wait to show up he's been doing for so many years is an act of kindness and mercy. For God to withhold that concentrated intervention and appearance is to withhold his wrath and to actually display his mercy. But that mercy will not last forever. One day the Lord will make himself more fully present to the world, and the self-deceived will encounter him only to hear depart from me. Matthew 7:23. Jesus tells us in the parable of Matthew 13:24 to 30 that the field of this earth is mixed with wheat and weeds. But as we wait for it all to get sorted and sifted, we remember the higher purpose and mercy of God in his delay, and we share in his desire that all should reach repentance we wait knowing what Romans 8.18 tells us, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So does your brain hurt yet? I mean, this will make you want to stick with just Ezekiel for a while, won't it? Maybe that's my clever scheme all along. Well, let's try to recap this. So many of us for so many different reasons, either ask or have heard someone ask, why doesn't God just show up? Where was God when blank? How is it that a God who is supposed to be so real and present feels so distant and obscure? There are personal reasons for asking those questions, and there's intellectual reasons. But regardless of why we're asking it doesn't work to think about God's presence like a light switch. If it were totally, completely off, none of us would be alive. None of us would experience the dawn of a new day or live or move or have our being. And if it was totally, completely on, the universe would shatter under the weight of its infinite, transcendent creator. What we see in the Bible instead is something more like a scale or a spectrum where God shows up and hides his glory with different degrees of directness, mediating his presence through closer and more distant methods. And what we've seen as we actually dove in and investigated the story of Scripture is that both Christians and non-Christians have a valid reason for feeling like they're missing something. That both have a valid reason feeling dissatisfied. And both Christians and non-Christians will experience and encounter that unmediated, unhidden presence of God. But they'll experience for very different reasons, with very different results. Human sin doesn't just show us what we've done with God's presence and distorting it. It actually shows us what God has been doing with his own hiddenness. He has shown us mercy. Why does God seem hidden? Is it because he's led us to expect otherwise and failed, proving that we shouldn't believe in him in the first place? Or is it because he graciously chooses to withhold his glory from those who can't handle it? I hope that after today the answer is clear. On every point along that scale of God's presence, we are totally and utterly dependent on Him, even as we reject that presence. And in tragic irony, at the same time, we cry out for and demand the very thing that will end in our demise. But for Christians, As for the whole creation itself, the prolonged absence of God results in a heartfelt groan, like Romans 8 talks about. We taste that presence in the grace of Christ, but we still wait for its full realization. And even for non-Christians, this very hiddenness of God is a display of his patience and mercy. He desires all of us to reach repentance before that irretractable day of showing up. We should have that same love and compassion as his followers. Wanting direct access to God, it turns out, shows a problem with us, not with God. So we don't want us to be sensitive to who's asking the questions, we need to be sensitive to what's actually being asked. What sense of God's presence are we really thinking about here, or are we even making any sort of distinction at all? Are we just raising our hands to the worship songs, shouting, show us your glory, thinking about how God answered Moses, or are we just blindly looking for access to God? When people want to ask us, or when we want to ask ourselves, why doesn't God just show up? We need to ask a different set of questions instead. What is it that we're really asking of God? And what is it that would really happen if we got it? That scale that the Bible presents us with gives us the tools to answer those right questions with the confidence of God's own perspective. By thinking through this from the Bible's perspective, we can help point our fellow Christians away from an obsession with their own private, intense spiritual experiences and toward a biblical framework on God's overarching work in all of history, our long-term place within that. I think this kind of discussion will anchor us in a more stable relationship with Jesus. I think it'll prevent a lot of personal crises from cropping up in the first place because of a misconception of God that says what he should be doing in the here and now that isn't really true. I think it's right for our sense of God's indirect or mediated presence to make us crave for something fuller, something without that obstacle or hiddenness. But... That craving should help us identify the problem in ourselves, not in God. The day will soon come when we get what we want, when God will show up. But unless Christ has broken our self deception, it will not turn out the way we're expecting. God will just show up. But are we prepared for what happens when He does? And as Christians, have been given the gift of that unhindered relationship and the goal and the hope of living in it, let's share our Savior's merciful heart, even as we cry, come, Lord Jesus. As we've searched the storyline of scripture, we found the incredible kindness in God's social distancing and the incredible temporariness of it as well. So in the words of Dustin Kensru's song, we pray. Come again to claim your own. Come to reap what you have sown. All creation weeps and groans for you. Like a thief in the dead of night, come our everlasting light. Let your brilliance shame the brightest day. So until the sun does rise, till your trumpets rend the skies help us keep our restless eyes on you amen the rebind is made possible by the help of andrew horning over at andrew horning sound along with the art contributed by graphic designer adam anderson if you've been enjoying the rebind please spread the word and follow us on social media and be sure to join us again next week as we pick up our journey in the book of ezekiel